Welcome to the House of Strauss. Yeah, go for it. Stars hang with stars, winners hang with winners. Si un jour tu m'emmènes à la plage, j'aimerais t'en plonger dans les fers. Je te promets que je resterai sage, mais tu ne comprends pas que je rêve de ça. Welcome to the House of Strauss. Uh, we got a first timer on House of Strauss. One John Middlecoff. Who you got a lot of irons in the fire, man. You're in many different parts of the media landscape. Can you give me a proper way to introduce you to the public? I'd say professional podcaster. <laughs> well, uh, okay, we'll get into the whole background. I, I see you as a football guy, a football guy first and foremost by trade, and you can get into your origins with the football and. A degenerate golf gambler who also has golf commentary. I, I that's that's just how I see it. You know, I'm offending you. You can stop me on that one. That's that's from the outside. Um, and then in addition to that, just somebody who is a very enthusiastic sports fan and sports commentator who is not afraid to give his opinion in a landscape where sometimes people can be a little bit reluctant. I brought you on because primarily this live golf situation seems fascinating to me but golf is one of these things man where it has the hardcore fans and it's a high barrier of entry to know what's going on and you do a golf podcast you've been talking about it um but i also want to talk a little bit of football a little bit of 49ers maybe some nba maybe some general perspectives you have on the divide between fans and the media but let's just start off with what's your background in all of this how did you come to this I say, as a wise man once told me, who goes by Guy Haberman, if you're going to get pigeonholed <laughs> as anything, getting pigeonholed as a football guy is the least of your worries. So, uh, can, can I just interject really quick and say, I love the stuff you do with Guy Haberman on YouTube and the football breakdowns. And it's definitely a source that I like to go to. So, I mean, if I'm going to introduce you with anything, that is one that I can give a full throated endorsement to. Yeah, you know, the 49ers, when they're good, they're like the Warriors. You know, it's just a lot of people care. So uh, we yeah. need those 49ers to keep rocking and rolling. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I born and raised in Davis. My dad grew up uh, in El Cerrito. His dad taught for Cal, went to school there, stayed there, worked. So I was born and raised there. I went to school at Cal Poly. Uh, unlike yourself, I wasn't smart enough to get into the, you know, the UC system beside Davis, but I was oh, not staying at home. So I, I, I had to leave. And like, like 99% of people, I played high school sports, loved it. It was one of the only thing I wasn't great in school, but I could remember sports was just, you know, my love, my passion. And you get into college and you kind of like, I don't want to work at Wells Fargo or Merrill Lynch. And, you know, cause you think like, that's what successful rich people do. And I remember I got an internship, like my second year was like, I, there's no way on God's green earth I can do this. So I got back involved with the athletic department one thing led to another and I, I started working in college football and I started at Cal Poly and then it led me to Fresno state as a graduate assistant, you know, in, in football and basketball, that's usually like the lowest level of coaches. It's kind of their entryway, mm -hmm. you know, in pro sports, it's like the quality control we call it in football and basketball. I'm sure they have a specific term, sometimes like the video guy. And, uh, my cousin had played at Fresno state in the mid two thousands. So I kind of, had an end to introduce myself and they were starting. This is way before like where college athletics are now mm. a recruiting GA. 
So I, I wasn't a coach. I didn't want to coach, but they had one in recruiting. Well, at Fresno State, this is not like Alabama. You, you also mm-hmm. deal with like ordering the food, lining yeah. up the buses, doing it. But you get it actually is incredible. You get to do everything. But recruiting was the main thing. And we had some really good NFL prospects. So I got to know a lot of the scouts that were coming through because I, I was just I thought their job, you know, like anyone who grew up, you know, I was born in the mid 80s, grew up in Northern California on Steve Young, Jerry Rice, just football in general, Brett Favre. It was just these guys work in the NFL. Like I, I've I'd never been to an NFL game until I eventually got hired in the NFL. Mm. Uh, for, I don't know, even know why. I mean, I'd been to like pro sports game, but I had never been to an NFL game. And I just I loved football. I played football in high school. I was terrible. Uh, I also played golf, which I was better at which i should have just done that the whole time but back when i was a kid you know i mean I, we're similar age but you know in the late 90s early 2000s golf even though tiger was kind of taken off like a rocket ship he was singularly like a star but the sport is so much different now it's so much mm. more universal you know obviously star athletes play but in Back to Fresno State, I, I just started meeting Can all I the just, scouts. Quick, quick interjection on that one, and I want to get back to the biography, but it, I, I just had a thought on that. I think YouTube has a lot to do with that. I think golf knowledge and how to play was very esoteric before this particular era, and that's just one scattered You're, you're going to use some words that you've, when you write. You know, <laughs> Don't the, do the state, that. State school, you're state school a smart guys, man. guy. State Don't guys. do that. Don't do that to yourself. <laughs> no, I, it was I, hard I agree. to find. <laughs> there's, been, there's been a lot of, I would say, the dam breaking the last couple of years when things got shut down, all the big cities, people started playing. YouTube yeah. has definitely played a huge role. I think gambling Gambling on golf is is pretty fun. Yeah, uh, th- th- I would just say that, that golf Something knowledge do. It, it, golf knowledge was opaque. It's some it was inscrutable. Um, you know, as <laughs> I would say, so many things. But it, it, no. I mean, <laughs> on the most basic level, it was viewed as a super rich sport, and I think yeah. the more and more people eyes open now, golf is because of last couple of years in COVID, it's so expensive again. But for a yeah. long period of time, you could find a shitty muni and play golf for relatively cheap prices and as you get older i mean you know you get a family most humans do not have like everyone's like wants to do a million things most humans do the same thing over and over and over maybe you have one hobby like go to the mm-hmm. gym or you know most people do n- yeah most <laughs> people do not have a physical hobby and then it just gets Dude. you outside it's an excuse to see friends you have a couple drinks on the weekend or you know late in the late in the afternoon during the weekday to kind of break up the monotony of life which yeah. and it's hard and it's difficult yeah, yeah. so it like is is challenging that's and that's fun yeah i was at a dinner and as an icebreaker a guy asked me and another guy with similarly aged children uh what do you do for fun and we both said this is a, a hypothetical this is uh, what what would I have for a hobby if I had the ability to have one? And maybe golf will be the next one and we'll get into golf. But let's get back on your the biography train that I have derailed of you becoming a football professional. So yeah, where were we? For, for a couple of years, I worked at Fresno State in, in the late 2000s. So it would have been 08, 09 and early on in 2010. Derek Carr was there his my second year as a f- true freshman. We had Ryan Matthews, who was a star oh, running yeah. back, who ended Chargers. up going in the top yeah top 15 that replaced LT. But when you have, I mean, we had draftable players, and Coach Hill had had top, you know, first, second round picks before. But when you have a prospect, you know, that's going to go that high, 
everyone's coming through. So I just got to meet so many guys. And then from there, you know, once your GA kind of positions, you essentially graduate, you know, your, your, whatever your graduate program is. And you got it like, it's not like a, you got paid in a scholarship, no different than the players. So it's not like you mm. got to figure out something to do. And I realized like, I want to get into the NFL. So one thing I had known is having a front row seat because I was basically my, I didn't really even have an office. It just was right next to coach Hills and he had worked for Bill Belichick. He had worked in the NFL. He was so connected. People, people in the NFL mm. loved him. And I, I felt pretty confident. Like if I just did a good job and made him like me over the couple of years, he would help me get a job because I was meeting enough guys that were going to help me get an intro to a GM or whatever. And I remember toward the end, I, I just kind of asked him through my boss, Drew Hill, who ended up, he's been at Oklahoma forever working for Lincoln Riley and Bob Stoops, but he called Andy Reed because they, I had befriended one of their lead scouts and he is like, Hey, we got a position. It would go a long way if, if coach Hill could call you. I, I remember asking him, he like five minutes later had Andy on the phone and they had known each other for like 20 years. And a week mm-hmm. later I was interviewing and, you know, I ended up working for the Eagles for three years in 2010, 2011 and 2012 into 13 until chip Kelly kind of took over. Uh, and then I found that, you know, you just, you, you never know shit comes at you fast, but it was, yeah. I lived in Philly for a couple of years. Uh, I, and then my third year I got to do the West coast because Daniel Jeremiah, who works for the NFL network ended up taking a media job. Cause there was, this was kind of at like when the dam started opening it more money, doing some of that stuff, mm-hmm. some of these guys making the transition. And I remember begging, like, I want to go back to the West coast so bad. And, they kind of took, I, I wouldn't say a flyer, but they gave me the opportunity as a young guy. And then when I got fired, it's like, I'm not moving around the country. So that just mm-hmm. kind of ended my NFL stint. But it was, I, I got very lucky that the one coach that I worked for happens to be, you know, you could argue now the best coach. And Brett Veach was was there as well. And, and Howie has gone on to, you know, be an elite general manager in the NFL. And, you know, uh, Sean McDermott. I was just, I got to be Matt Nagy. I got to be around Doug Peterson, so many guys in that couple year period, Todd Bowles that, you know, I, I could have easily worked for the Jags or the, or the, you know, some shitty team with some no name coach. And it just wouldn't have probably impacted my life. Like it has. I'm wondering when you're in a job like that, it's hard to be differentiated. It's hard to be noticed. If you're not a player, generally, Guys will try to make it with um, being on the cutting edge of analytics. Um, if you are a former player, maybe you stand on that. But you know, it's it's difficult in ops in sports. So I'm wondering, yeah. did you think you had a particular talent, or was your mentality, "I'm just going to grind because I like this and I just want to see what this is"? What What did you think about your own skill set in that world? Yeah, I think it's easier to think like that. In 2023, we've had so much dialogue about that over the mm. years. When I got into it in 10, it, 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 that never crossed. It was just like, how do I make a day-to-day? How do I do a good job? How See, do okay, I, I'm looking at know. it from an NBA perspective. Like The NFL is a bigger world where more people can, can have it, jobs. Yeah, we just got more scouts. You got... It's there's just more opportunity. There's so much mo- I mean, at the time. I get the money was good then, not for me, but other people yeah. above me. You mm-hmm. didn't. We had it. You know, Howie is a very analytical driven general manager, and at the time, I think he had had the job probably less than a year. I think he was 35. He was definitely the youngest GM. He we had a guy Alec Hallaby who you've probably heard of or seen in conferences. He's one of the main analytic guys probably in the entire NFL. They had just hired from Harvard who. I, I, 
I, I, I remember looking at Howie. I remember Howie looking Rose at computer. Uh, you, you know, forgive me. You know, Howie Roseman. I'm trying to uh, to keep the um, the non NFL head abreast. Yeah, Howie uh, Roseman. You know, yeah. Yeah. He's like the Daryl Morey, but actually wins in there the NFL. Go. Oh, ouch. <laughs> ouch! I mean, it's just true. It's Oof. just true. I mean, it's just. <laughs> but uh. the, but the difference is in, in like Howie, for example, who I think most people would say he's an analytical general manager. They really value team chemistry, character. I mean, that's something that, like, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to rip on Daryl. I'm not acting like he's the village idiot here. But and, and basketball is a lot different than football. You have less players. You're more star driven with one guy. But mm. I think one thing that in football you don't have a choice. You have to do because you have so many players, right? And so many, even if you have a star quarterback, like for as good as the Chiefs are. They're very dependent on the offensive yeah. linemen, the other wide receivers, the the special teams guys. Like it's it's much more of a cohesive, you know, kind of unit. You have to factor in more variables that just like yeah. whether LeBron but, likes you or not, who cares if he's in the peak of his powers, like you're gonna make it to the finals. I mean, there are more ways to win in the NFL. And you were just talking yeah. about this with Haberman that it's so funny that the Niners are a perennial contender. And you never understand what their quarterback situation is versus these other teams where it's more traditional and the main engine of their contention is having Patrick Mahomes um, or a top tier quarterback. And I think you could almost say there's luck in the sense that the NFL has a lot of injury variance and noise, but everybody's kind of equal in a way. It's not like the NBA where you're subject to the whims of the draft lottery or whether a superstar wants to live in your city. Um, If you're failing over a long stretch in the NFL, it's your fault. It just can't be any other way. It it has to be your fault or it's somebody's fault. Well, think about one of the stories with the Miami heat is like, they have all these undrafted free agents. That's like the ethos of the NFL late rounders and undrafted free agents make up every team, you know? Yeah. Maybe not your star players, but you have a starter kind of every position who's a fifth rounder, who's a seventh rounder, who's an undrafted free agent. It's just, it's just a lot. It's just, it's not really apples to apples, obviously in, in certain respects. Have you read collision slow crossers? Uh, no, I have not. Okay. It might be less interesting to you than it would be to me because, and I've, I brought it up on this podcast before. I think it's a great book. Uh, I'm trying to remember the, the author's name, maybe Nicholas Dawadoff. He's a New Yorker, very intellectual kind of writer. And he embedded with Rex Ryan and the jets and got, behind the scenes access like I have never seen in the NFL. And was it when they were good? It was, I think, maybe a little bit in between. I think the, it was around the lockout, which might have been why he got more of the access. But gotcha. he was in the room with the coaches. He was hearing their banter. And I think the main theme of the book is, is there anything that Americans are more obsessed with and know less about than NFL football? And that was the theme of it. That <laughs> you could come up with some things. I politics the, might the, have replaced the, it. Stock market, maybe. I know that's, that, that, that's, that's probably you. even niche. No, that's you. That's you. That's probably niche. Yeah, that's that's more niche. You could say politics. More people vote than watch the Super Bowl uh, at this point. So maybe politics. But 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 every but every human pays. Yeah, you know, I guess maybe not every human. You know, pays taxes yeah. or has to pay rent or you know it's. Politics does impact every single living human being in this country, right? In some form or fashion. 
the theme of it locally is that, or you know it's the nfl the jargon how it all works how the sausage actually gets made is hard to even begin to know or to really decipher for somebody who just watches games on sundays and it's its own particular world and what ends up happening the beginning of the end for rex ryan in that book uh, what ends up destroying him as the guy running the jets was a late round draft pick where he had the ability, he had the power to override the decision of his scouts on who to get. And he wanted some guy who was the college roommate of Sanchez to make Mark Sanchez feel yeah, better. Wide, wide receiver, a slot receiver from uh, McKnight. I think his name was look at that knowledge for somebody who didn't read the book right there. Very impressive. Um, but yeah, I think, right, I, I think it was I think it was his high school friend. I thought it I might think. have been because yeah, he went to Colorado. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't. I don't remember any of those details. Yeah. I just remember the detail of this was a very late pick, and it, I mean, adding in the NBA, if you were to add some undrafted guy to placate Steph Curry or not even Steph Curry, just some guy on the fringes for whatever, it's whatever. But it it was a big deal internally that Rex Ryan did that and squandered because you look at all the work that goes into trying to uncover one of those gems in the later rounds that he did that and that it was a bust that ultimately was what caused it all to unravel for him there. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example where basketball and football differentiates a little bit, right? In it, it, Wiseman bust for the Warriors, obviously, Let's say yep. Kaminga and Moody, one of those two also is just, they're going to have to get rid of, let's just say this offseason, and they get nothing out of two of the three of them. That's pretty devastating, right? I mean, that's yeah. in terms of the long-term health and future. In the short term, it might not impact it that much, but over the next 10 years, it's because they're just not going to draft that high for the next couple years for sure. Where in football, it's like, let's use Trey Lance for an example. Let's just assume yeah. the 49ers whiff, and he's just never any good. It might not matter literally at all. Now, mm -hmm. quarterback, it can be more like the basketball impact, but a lot of positions, Eagles whiff all the time or have in the past. Like, whatever. You find a guy in the fourth round who's better, he goes, and he becomes a 10-year starter for you. You know, so you obviously just get more bites of the apple because you have more players, because you have so many guys in every position group. And and it gets back to, like, the Max Struces or the, you know, the all the dudes for the Heat. Those guys always exist in football every single mm -hmm. year. It's why I don't get that caught up with like, could this fifth rounder be a gem? Well, maybe. Or the guy that no yeah. one's talking about as an undrafted free agent works his ass in training camp, beats him out, and is a starter by week five. Why is it so hard to predict? In theory, it should be easy. Humans. I mean, you're just, just you cannot quantify. People like in football, it's like analytics, having the 40 time height, weight, production, like mm. people have always valued numbers, right? It, it's more the, I mean, the greatest player of all time, like Tom Brady, what really does he hang his hat on, right? Drive, uh, uh, ability to be coached, willingness to just outwork everybody, willingness to put in the time, Peyton Manning, you know, Nick mm. Bosa, whoever, you just go around the league to all the top players at any position, most of them. I would say relatively high character, high work ethic. I saw Nick Sirianni, the head coach of the Eagles, said either said it yesterday or the other day that he thought, and he's been in the league now like over a decade, that easily Jalen Hurts, not quarterback, but player, is the most coachable individual he's ever been around in the NFL. Most coachable. Hmm. 
So that, you know, like Jalen does not have, he's not the tallest, doesn't have the strongest arm. You know, he wasn't a high pick. He was a second round pick, but he's just willing to be coached. And that's something I, I think, look at the heat. Like usually they get guys that are willing to listen. And that, you know, the Warriors, I think, hang their hat on. Say what you want about like Draymond's craziness over yeah. the years. Like he's willing to be pushed by Steve. And some guys just aren't. Football, basketball, yeah. baseball. So the headline, Madison Bumgarner, one of the reasons he didn't play very well, but got cut because he wouldn't take any advice from anybody with the Diamondbacks. Mm. Well, it goes the other way too, where a guy's career can get ruined by the big ideas of whoever is running the team at For that sure. time. And it goes NFL. both ways. Way more in basketball. Basketball, it's just talent tends to be apparent. You can see it to a certain extent. The Warriors might have made a colossal mistake and traded Clay Thompson away because Mark Jackson's coaching was keeping some of his talent under wraps. So that can happen. But with the NFL, I think it's more dramatic. There might be a coach who's insistent on their lingo and their highly complicated offensive system. And maybe they've got a guy running that system and it just he can't do it it's not the right fit for him but the coach i mean has his intellectual project there have been nfl coaches like that i remember for sure reading about how harbaugh comes in and looks at alex smith back in the day with the niners and figures out and look you know the terminology so if i'm screwing something up you can you can jump in here but this is as i understand it okay. um there were blitz reads that Alex Smith really struggled with. This idea of when there's a blitz, you've got to, you know, the routes are going to just change right there to account for it. And he's got to be able to remember that and execute that. He couldn't execute it. For whatever reason, it wasn't in him to execute that. So Harbaugh apparently just said, we're not doing blitz reads. Just fucking figure it out. Figure it out. And you know what? That appeared to turn Alex Smith from a very bad quarterback to a pretty decent one, from what I read. Now, is that particular anecdote completely true? I don't know. But I believe it's spiritually true that stuff like that is happening all the time in the NFL, where careers can just be changed by whatever the mindset is of the person running the team in a way you don't really see as much with basketball. Well, I would say the most basic level of any good coach, just like any good boss in any industry of anyone that's listening is take someone who has a talent, like we all have deficiencies, and ask them to do what they're good at doing yeah. and try to avoid what they're bad at doing. I remember <laughs> yes. when the NFL did like their top 100 players of all time, and Belichick was, he was part of it, and it was awesome. And he, he kept being asked about like players and sophisticated schemes, and he's just like, I think we overcomplicate just sports in general. Just mm. we try to take our strengths against their weaknesses and we try to find our we their weaknesses yeah. and exploit it. Like it's just this isn't that complicated. You know, this we're not building the Eiffel Tower here. Oh my God. It, it was so good too. I love so many of those clips. I do love how he reduces things down too to what you're saying. That Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick just tries to he tries to get you to play left-handed. You know, yeah. he just tries to do, and that's that's just most of the battle right there is to make you uncomfortable. And I'm sure schematically, but, th it's but that, a lot gets more that gets back to I think a lot of coaches in general, probably in in any sport, just like a lot of human beings have, especially successful ones, have something they know that works and they don't like to pivot off it. Yeah. He is just very, he's Fluid. completely open minded. Like he's not yeah. stuck to anything because he got. Why would I force something if it's not going to work? It's stupidity. Yeah. Where I, you know, Kyle Shanahan 
is a good example of, and it works. Same with Steve, right? Yeah. They have something that they know works at the highest level. And for Kyle, it's worked through his dad. For Steve, it's worked through, you know, back to Phil Jack, whoever, right? And and they just, and sometimes it's their undoing. Or Bill, you know, it, he would use it, but he would never hesitate to pivot off it in a yeah. certain moment when it wasn't working. And that's, you know, now you could argue, well, you had Tom Brady, but I mean, it's a big reason that they, they won a lot of games that they shouldn't have won for 20 yeah. years. It's debatable as to whether Kyle Shanahan cares more about winning his way than ultimately winning. Um, time will tell. Of course, yeah, time will tell. Um, I just want to, again, say how much I loved those NFL Top 100. And I felt like you got insights into Belichick. Incredible. I felt like at some level, Belichick is such a defensive-minded coach that he almost... I, I, I don't even know how to describe it because I'm sure he's grateful for Tom Brady but he's oddly dismissive of Brady. And it's almost like he doesn't even view offensive players as the real players in the NFL. And to see his eyes light up when he talks about Lawrence Taylor or when he's having conversations with Ed Reed and Ray Lewis, uh, it's a completely different guy. And that also speaks to that weird NFL thing where it's really two sports that are being played as one. And there's this weird compartmentalization where defense and offense are just these different universes as opposed to in the NBA where everything's integrated. I think one reason that the NFL, I mean, there's been a lot of variables, their separation of popularity, but their characters, right? With the players, just like in basketball, the players are really famous. Their coaches are so famous. You know, you could argue the Mm -hmm. top 10 coaches in the NFL are equal just in terms of through the conversation, the way we discuss it, just the way casuals get angry at the television, that they play a huge role. And it's not just the head coaches. One thing football has is their coordinators, and this goes down to the popularity in college football, become, play such a huge role, right? Because mm. it's not like you're watching the offense. Well, you know the head coach isn't doing anything, so you talk about the offensive coordinator who's kind of running the chessboard, right? And that's what makes Kyle, you know, anytime the head coach is also the play caller, that like even elevates them into an extra stratosphere because they're preparing the team, but yeah. they're also moving the chess pieces. Yeah. I can't wait to read this Bill Walsh book that he wrote on it. I can't even remember the name of it. There was, God, it's such a different thing. Um, I guess you had the triangle in the NBA that was legendary and people were curious did, about did it. Phil cre- did Phil create that or was that something that he just morphed from already doing like with the Knicks, but like in the seventies or something? It's it was Tex winter and it was called the triple post offense. And what I liked from Phil and yes, he is, he has touted the triangle and whatnot. But when he did his interview with Rick Rubin recently, he was explaining what I believe to be true, which is that, it's more important to have a system than what the system is. And he was throwing a shot at Doug Collins, who he took over from, and basically saying Doug Collins' system was, hey, Michael, here's the ball. Uh, and that doesn't work. You need some sort of structure that unlocks your freedom. Some sort of, this is generally what we're doing, and we're going to freelance off of the shape of this. Um, but yeah, I think... The triangle, I don't know. There are triangle concepts. There are triangle principles. Steve has used some of that. Um, I don't I don't necessarily think that if you understand the triangle, you will finally understand basketball. But Bill Walsh, in contrast, his book was more management focused. And it, it is out of print. You have to pay something like $700 to read it. 
and NFL Films did an entire episode that was just anchored around this goddamn book. <laughs> That's just something the NFL does that you don't get from from the NBA. The NBA seems far less interested in the intellectual perspective of its coaches. Yeah, I, I do think when I was a kid, you know, in like the 90s, I'd say basketball with Michael Jordan was th- the coaches were really famous. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the main ones. I mean, they were football level. You knew the top, I don't know, 10, 12 guys in the NBA were every bit as big as like Jimmy Johnson, right? I mean, yeah. I'm talking, from, well, obviously, so Phil was it. a lead dog, but to George Carl, to, you know, just go around the league of all the important teams. I, I would say they're Pat Riley. Do you think this is, do you think this is real? Are we talking ourselves into this? Do we, th- you know, and it's actually not true because Steve Kerr is pretty famous. Um, but he was fam- the, he was very yeah. famous when he showed up to be a coach. Mm, that's true. That's true. Is Spolstra famous? You know, maybe Spolstra's famous. Um, Prop, but Pat Riley's the most famous guy in the building. That's a good point. Like Pat Riley was so goddamn famous um, yeah. in the 1980s and in the early to mid 90s. And yeah, I mean, okay. So I've got a question to this end because you worked for Andy Reid. I'm interested in the persona of Andy Reid because now there's this buzz that maybe he's the greatest coach of all time, or at least he's got a shot at it. And he's known to be an offensive genius, but he's also somebody who has been mocked a lot over his career. He doesn't, he doesn't have that outward gravitas that coaches have that kind of that smart mean combination that you would get in a Greg Popovich or a Bill Parcells, that sort of, and Bill Belichick as well, that kind of intimidation factor, you know? People say he looks like the Michelin man. He's a little bit almost cuddly. Like, what's this guy like, you know? What's this guy like behind the scenes? This guy that might be the greatest of all time when it's all said and done. Well, I would say, and and I've never worked for Belichick, but know a lot of people that have his, I would put his work ethic and drive and the way I've always described it is like addiction of football. I mean, it's it's got to be up there. If if Bill is like the all time football crackhead, he's got to be one B. I mean, mm-hmm. he can just work. His relentless work ethic is unlike anything I've ever seen. How does that represent itself? How how is uh, it? Can I you mean, make that just, tangible for us? Well. It's hard because you just spend so much time at the office. A lot of coaches do that, and then they lose, and no one cares. Mm. You know, I I think clearly where it shows for him the time he's spending there. You know, it's not like I'm I sat next to him when I was in the office. You know, during late nights or whatever. But clearly, he's thinking of ideas, watching extra film, thinking of anything to help guys get better, uh, and mm. then also managing his coaching staff. Where he's, you know, I. When I was in Philly, he didn't call the plays, and he got back to that when he went to Kansas City, and he's kind of gone back and forth over the years with the Bienemies, the Doug Petersons of like giving it, taking it. But he, I mean, he plays a major, major role in the play calling. Uh, I think one thing that you know, like you said, that cuddly demeanor yesterday. He had a viral video of talking about like the food at the White House, like they had like mm. this uh, ham and cheese sandwich that had French toast. He was describing it like mm. a lot of coaches. When you think of like if you just remove bill, but go like Kyle Shanahan, Sean Payton, you know, Harbaugh, there's like this cockiness to them. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has egos. I mean, Andy's, Andy's been making 10 plus million now for a decade plus. Mm -hmm. Who knows how much he's making huge cash. 
he's got an ego because he, how would he not? He's a multiple time Super Bowl champion. He knows he's been one of the best, but it doesn't it doesn't show in a cocky manner. And I think when you listen to the players that talk about him, and I think Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes have been very, but his players for decades have talked about this. Yeah. He's played a huge role in a lot of these guys getting traded and cut over the years, but they never hate him. You know, mm. a, lot, a lot of times because football, you're you're going to Peyton Manning got cut. Tom Brady was told like essentially by Bill, you're not coming back. Did they? There's like this love and respect for the guy because I think he is very genuine and he just treats mm. you. He's not an asshole, you know, to you as a coach. Plus, he doesn't swear. So there's probably ah. an element where it's just a little bit. He's older now. Maybe he was different, you know, back in like when he first got the job in the late 90s, early 2000s. I, I just think there's an he. So he came into Kansas City with a lot of credibility. And then he, you know, like most coaches, any sport to be a great all time coach. They've always had great all time players. And, you know, Donovan McNabb was a really good player. Michael Vick had a moment. Alex's ceiling. Andy loved Alex. Mm. I mean, from the moment I was in Philly, we tried to get him to be a backup. He immediately traded for him when he got the Chiefs. But he was he could only take you so far. You see, you, you give him an all-time talent. I mean, they've, they've essentially owned the league now for five years. You know, they've been to three Super yeah. Bowls. They've won two. They've been easily the best team in the league, I'd say top to bottom, for a, that entire period of time, right? And they're going to be the favorites this year. And I, I think he just knows the buttons to pick, uh, to push with these guys. And I think especially mm. he knows exactly what he's looking for in, in people. And I think that's like their their character on their team is just pretty impressive. Yeah, it's incredible. Just, I guess I wouldn't say coincidence, but it is a wonder strike as sometimes happens in sports to have a coach at that level combined with maybe the greatest quarterback ever. Most talented quarterback I've ever seen. To say nothing I, I, of the surrounding talent. I think now, and I was just thinking about this. I mean, obviously, these players are making so much money, right? I mean, they, yeah. they've always made money. I mean, when I was a kid, a guy would sign for $5 million or $3 million. That was a lot in 1992 or whatever. But you start making $40, 50000000 million a year. I mean, that's... I, even you can factor in inflation, whatever you want. I mean, that's it's stupid. I mean, most CEOs, there's a small percentage of CEOs that get W two that much money. Yeah. So you're talking about these the richest employees in this country. So to be able to relate to them, whether it's Steve Kerr or Eric Spolstra, whether it's Andy Reid or Pete Carroll or whoever, you, you gotta. There's some tact to it, you know, because you gotta yeah. stay on them. But you also, the guy makes a lot more money than you. <laughs> And yeah, he know at the end of the day, he knows like I, I don't need any of this at any moment. So there is you got to be good with people. And back to the draft. Why do you miss on draft picks? Because this is all people. You know, this it's all people. And we all are different in the way we're wired, the way we're driven. But ultimately, like once you get to a certain level and you have the talent and you get a little taste of it, you want more success. We're all I think most of us are driven that way in, in any of our professions. So if you if you approach it correctly, it's why I think so few coaches are good. Most people don't because it's it's such a high pressure job. It, I think it's a lot of times easy to kind of unravel, easy to kind of snap, easy to not kind of keep your cool. And that's that's another great Andy ability. He's just yeah. very 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 even keel through the like they could lose by twenty or win by twenty. He doesn't really act much different, honestly. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, speaking. Of people making $40, $50 million. Here's the professional segue right here. I was hoping that you could 
come on here and do a, a, a deceptively difficult task, and that is to explain what the hell happened with the Live Golf PGA merger in a way that somebody who doesn't even follow golf would understand and would get the staggering nature of it. Because this is what I'm going through as I'm listening, as I'm reading about it. The golf nuts, when I will listen to a podcast, um, and I want to get more into this topic, they're just going, oh my God, what the hell? This is insane. My phone is exploding. And then oftentimes when they're done talking about it, I'll think, nobody outside of golf world understands what the hell just happened or what the hell you just said. So I'm, I'm wondering if there's a way to truly communicate the staggering and surprising nature and why this is one of the biggest sports stories of the decade that this, this golf merger has happened. And as far as I can see, uh, Saudi Arabia now, now runs, uh, runs golf. Well, I think we have to separate, and because I'm on your podcast, I know you guys love talking about the media and sometimes how they can look at things different than the consumer. And I think sometimes Ooh, I like the this. consumer, what they want ultimately is just to watch all the best players play each other. Right. That's just, mm -hmm. I think, what any sports fan wants. They want to see Jokic play Steph Curry. You want to see Brooks Kepka play Roy McElroy. You want whatever the sport is. Right. And we've had a division. And I'm not a big European soccer guy or F1 guy, but if you f loosely follow the world, you know, all you need is like a Twitter account. The Saudis are very, very involved and they have been in the sports landscape of the world, right? They, they have taken advantage of some of these soccer teams that were down and out bottom. They have gotten involved in F1. They have gotten, they brought WWE or WC. I don't even know the wrestling, but they've got yeah. UFC. They've they have unlimited money. As someone in the finance world texted me a couple weeks ago, they have untapped resources in the trillions. And the PIF is, you know, hmm. $750 billion. The, the money, they have an unlimited can war you, chest. Can you explain what the PIF is to the listener? I am a little confused. It's basically like their version of a venture. I could be wrong if, if people hmm. are listening to this in the finance world. Like what VCs are, right? They get a huge yeah. fund and then they go invest in stuff, right? And their fund usually, like Joe Lacob or whoever, they get people to invest in it. They they, you know, add up to a war chest, start at five hundred million, get to five billion, what, and just keeps accumulating. Well, yeah. they, because of this thing called oil, <laughs> have a mm. lot of extra coin, and yeah. it just has accumulated. I think last year they made seventy five billion in profits. Again, could be low on this one. I I think I read yeah. a number like that just in two thousand twenty two profits. Not, and I don't think they pay taxes on those. Because they run it themselves, right? So yeah. this is just it's it's their investment fund, which if you're in finance, public, you see they've public, public investment. investment fund. I like it. I like how it does sound evil. That's what I like about it. I like but that they it invest in all good. of our companies. You know, from Uber yeah. to Twitter no. to the, 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 no, they're not just investing talking, in sports. I'm not saying that that's evil. I'm just saying piff. When you call it yeah. the piff, it sounds. Uh, it sounds a little bit scary, and I, I enjoy that about this story. That the PIF, the PIF is making moves. It's building its death, uh, its Death Star, and golf is its latest project. So the Crown Prince of Saudi MBS. Sometimes I say SBF, but I'm pretty sure that's the uh, crypto <laughs> the guy. Other so guy. MBS, yeah. MBS, the poor guy. He is <laughs> relatively. He, he's in charge of all the money, and his yeah. right hand man is a diehard sports guy. Mm. And he goes by the name Yasser, who also loves golf and really wanted in on golf. 
So they've had the idea to create their own league the last couple of years. And eventually they got Phil Mickelson to kind of help spearhead it with Greg Norman. Right. Yeah. And then they were able to, they got some older over the hill players. You know, that were, if you just loosely follow sports, you've probably heard of Sergio Garcia or something, some yeah. Lee Westwoods. And they got some of those guys, but they also got five or six star elite American needle movers in Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, and then Cam Smith, kind of this potentially maybe like the next Greg Norman, this Australian star who beat Rory last year, and then they immediately signed him. Golf is not football or basketball. It is niche, right? It's still big. You know, a big yeah. major tournament can get six, seven million people watching, but it's they the could not niche, afford. But it's the best niche. It's the richest niche. Because their household income of their consumer is probably... Yes quadruple someone watching a football or baseball game, right? Yeah. Look at their sponsors. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry I interrupted as you were, you were making no. a great point, but I just, you know, you'll be watching the Masters sometime and you'll see advertisements for things that you never see advertisements for on television. You'll see a private plane advertise. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, that, that would make no sense to put that on during a, you know, a Giants-Dodgers or 49er <laughs> game, right? You no. would never... But you do that during you know a golf tournament. So once they split, they had an unlimited amount of money. They did not need to make a profit. So they could just do this forever and keep offering star players. And it did not matter if they were losing money, which surely they are because they're not. They're on the CW. They're, they're just not making it, but they didn't care. Well, the PGA Tour to compete with that had to... They, they got a new television deal, so they had some more money coming in, but they had to compensate their players at a higher level or continue to risk losing guys. Hmm. Well, it's not a sustainable model. They're giving out... You win some of these tournaments this year, you're making three or $4 million. It's like $3.6 million for these elevated events. I think John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler are on pace to have like each $40 million seasons on the course. Hmm. Well, this is not a sustainable model for the next 10 years, and, and stories have come out by the big J's that they have offered these, their main sponsors like, Hey, you're giving us X amount. Let's just pick an even number, a hundred million dollars. Can you double that over the next couple of years? Cause that's the only way that the PGA tour could keep those purses for the foreseeable future. And rumors are that they've been getting a lot of no's like, you know, these mm -hmm. are weird economic times. What's changed. It's not like you've gotten more viewers. We've already, we're already, you know, signed on the dotted line for this. And it was, they had foreseeable problems. Now, live technically does too because no one's paying attention, but they don't care because this gets back to, I think, a lot of people, whether you're pro Saudis, anti the Saudis, pro, most golf fans, like this is where the media, I think, gets it wrong. They, listen, they're a pretty predictable group. You could get very, you know, on their high horse about this. Mm. We all agree. Like, no one's like, 9-11 was good. Like, everyone, if you're just actually, having a casual conversation, I'm, I think... Oh, I said, actually, like, I'm going to interject when you said 9-11 was good. <laughs> actually, no, that's not where I'm going with this, folks. Um, I was surprised by the high horsedness of the media on this topic. It's one of the reasons why I have you on, is that I, I it was the main thing that was striking well, in, me as In strength. fairness, the, P, the PGA Tours commissioner, their Adam yeah. Silver, their Roger Goodell, went like a year ago this week on the broadcast at the Canadian open sitting next to Jim Nance and did go on a moral high horse, nine 11 new, like he did set okay. the tone. You know, he kind of, he played that card. There are so many if, directions if I wanted to, go to defend with this. them. But. No, no, there's so many directions to go with this because I don't think anything we do should be construed as a defense of the Saudi 
government. You you were talking on your podcast about kind of pushing back on the people saying what aboutism when you bring this up, but it's worth bringing up. Sometimes what aboutism is a fair point. It does seem a little arbitrary to freak out about Saudi Arabia merging with an American property when they are a formal ally and have been a formal ally of our government for over 70 years. It's like it's a very strange thing to me. I I am not defending them. I think it's an open question as to whether that should be the friend of the United States. But it it is so odd for me to see Bryson DeChambeau on television getting grilled over his association with Saudi Arabia when our government has an association with Saudi Arabia. Why should he be held to a standard that is far higher than the people we pay our taxes to? That is very odd and arbitrary to me just as an outside observer i've always taken the stance of like i don't use these guys as the i don't give a shit what they think and the players like i I don't go to them for like i i wonder what they're thinking that's how i should sculpt my political views like they i I don't care i think most of them are full shit but it doesn't matter it just does not matter and i'm with you Putting Bryson DeChambeau on television, what do you think he's going to say? He's going to probably sound like an idiot because there's no way he can make everyone happy. A guy part of the, who we mostly know him because he hits that rock extremely far. Like he's <laughs> like for people who don't know, he's a muscle bound dude who hits. I'm not saying you can be very smart and do that. I'm not saying that makes him dumb, but like this is the main reason that we are asking this guy about 9/11. And again, I just. I, I, I don't want to get too derailed on all this stuff. I feel like it would have been interesting if he flipped it on her and said, are you saying Saudi Arabia did 9-11? Like, what are you saying here? I'm not even sure what our consensus is as a country. I know 19 of the hijackers are from Saudi, but it was just strange to see all of these issues raised as though we all agree and have been similarly outraged at Saudi Arabia when I don't think we've ever quite had a national conversation about it 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 just seemed it it seemed astroturfed i guess is what i'm saying well there's a guy if golf had owners right if they had joe lacobs if they had you know the the bus families the the yorks this guy named jimmy dunn would 100 be an owner and he plays a massive massive role he's a big money guy and he's buddies with Tom Brady and all the golfers and he he's essentially on the board of the pga tour and he helped broker this deal well, he's a finance guy, and he had a firm or was a partner in a firm that was in one of the towers. He happened, for, I, I forget the exact detail, yeah. missed a flight, was he was gone. He was not yeah. there, knew everyone that died. He was on television the other day and was getting pressed on that issue. And he simply said, if I knew, that, if I knew exactly who did this, I'd kill them myself. Mm. So, And I, I think because a lot of people are like, well, this guy is much more involved than 99% of us, right? Of like yeah. his partners, his friends, like his his this entire is, company. This is like when Roger Sterling is at, you know, barges into the meeting they're doing with the Japanese manufacturer of the motorcycles and, and can't get over having fought in World War II. That's a, I guess it, it personality driven. It, it, it makes it makes some sense. It's just the media reaction was so... I don't it know. Would, it, 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 it's it's predictable. You I, think? I think the, you think it's predictable? I guess. Yeah, it happens, I think the media. So that's a fair argument for you. You'd have to agree. The media and I can give you just a topic, and we can 
we can kind of the, the vast majority let's just use writers or whatever kind of know yeah. which way they're going to lean and what the takes are going to be and this is a polarizing topic like i understand it's also how many people actually that are up in arms like, i understand the golf media being yeah. you know having a hard take or a hard stance but i also get back to and this is one thing i think it if you cover, talk about whatever you do in sports, if you truly believe that, that, that is important. But like, are the people listening? Do like, do they actually, is that what they're thinking? Because I think I there can be so. a big disconnect. And I don't think they give a shit. Not that, again, every, we all have, I would say if we got a hundred people in a room from cities, urban, rural, all over the country, we would all have similar stances on 9-11. But when it comes to like, if they were all golf fans, like, what do you want to watch this weekend? The best players play each other. Yeah. And I think if that's what leads to the outcome, because that was not the case, it was fragmented and golf is not big enough to be fragmented. Now there are so many political, like anti-competitive elements to this. Some conspiracy theorists think the PGA tour agreed to this, knowing it will get shot down mm. to basically ask them out. Only time will tell that they have a lot of steps. Another element of this is they were in a lawsuit, Right. The Saudis and the PGA Tour for competitive reasons. And mm. the Saudis, depending on who you believe, no one knows, had he earmarked billions of dollars just for legal fees. Huh. The PGA Tour does not have billions of dollars <laughs> in general, let alone to fight them. So they, yeah. they, they, they could just, and this is just tactical business, right? That happens in all sorts of industries where you just bleed as someone out, your your opponent. Yeah. They could have done that. And, and I think the PGA Tour... I think it's pretty telling if this is a genuine, there's not some conspiracy theory part of the merger on the PGA tour side is they were starting to realize we're going to be in trouble. Big picture. If we don't attempt to get at the table with these guys and this Yasser guy. And then I think the big picture is whoever has the most money in any partnership or any deal eventually gets the juice, yeah. you know? And I think that's the scary thing of like, cause I, I here's a fair political yeah. Thing to ask out loud. And let's use China on this too. Yeah. Do China, Saudi let's, Arabia, do they, do they like us? If they could, would they completely take us out? Would they own us if they could in a heartbeat? Like you, you can ask these, like ultimately yeah. Saudi Arabia, are they pretending to be like this because they want to act like this to get in with everybody and then, you know, do who knows what, well, or are they actually just good people now? Well, this informed my reaction I don't because, know. It, it, because it wasn't as though there was a just, loud, angry denunciations until the Maury incident. There weren't denunciations from NBA media saying, oh my God, you've got to cut off this relationship with China. It needs to stop. This is not good. There was a little bit of that in the aftermath of Maury, but even then, not really going so far as to say you need to end this. So it just seems quite arbitrary to me because China, even if there's a ton of trade between America and China, is more of a formal adversary of the United States than Saudi Arabia is. You know, Saudi hundred percent, not even close, not even arguable. Yeah, I mean, they're very open about it. They want to be number one. Um, they understand our greed is a weakness. Uh, their government does and tries to influence things where they can. Um, in a way that might be similar to what Saudi Arabia is doing. But the difference is, is that Saudi Arabia has regional interests that it would like to see protected. And China wants to be the lone superpower supplanting 
the nation we live in, which would be not good for us. So it, it is very strange to go, well, that's okay. That's fine. That's fine for our companies to have all these associations with China. That's fine for the NBA to have that association. Uh, that's all cool. But to have Saudi Arabia buying into golf, no, it can't happen. That, that was just very strange to me. And I am personally, in my perspective, a bit of a sports nationalist. I don't like this overall as a general as a general thing of just whether it's it's corporations from outside of North America um, or their governments in this instance buying into properties that I think in a way are social binders of the nation. And that's how I feel about it, but I don't have a say in it and I can't really it's, control it's an, it. It's a, it's a very probably even more than that. It's such an international sport. Yeah. You know, think about some golf, of the best players. Especially. Yeah, golf. Yeah. Think about the okay, the two best PGA tour players, or two yeah. of the three. Rory McElroy and John Rom. If the if the best golf league that paid the most, John Rom's from Spain. Rory's from Ireland. If it yeah. had been if the best golf league had been in Japan, right, and that's just where you they would just be in Japan. So I always mm -hmm. understand it's why I didn't have a problem with all the Europeans going to yeah. live. Cause like now, they, I'm sure they like being here and they live in the nice series and they've made a ton of money on the PGA Tour, but they came here because this is where you kind of have to come. Like, if you want to play in the best basketball league, Jokic and Luka, they, they have no choice. Like, if they yeah. did have a choice and they could also make $40 million against the best players in their home country, they wouldn't leave, it's, right? It's a, it's a good point, and... There's no America in the initials of PGA like there is in the National Basketball Association, the National the NFL, Football League. Yeah. yeah, these are kind of implicitly American products. But hey, if you don't like these foreign entities buying into it, then you got to take that up with our system of laws, our government. Um, there could be arguments for how that shouldn't be allowed to happen, or maybe it's not constitutional. I don't know. That's a whole other conversation. But again, uh, I, I felt a little bit more surprised and I felt like the media reaction was less something I could have predicted uh, than, than you felt like in well, a lot of it, other, it, it was, it was a shock. It was a shocking story given how much animosity, the two sides, how secretive it was, how outspoken the tour, their players. I mean, they have talked so much shit back and forth. Yeah. It had been very adversarial, right? It hadn't been like, well, the competition, but they still like, they understand each other. Like it had been, it had been an equivalent. Obviously it's golf and yeah. a war between the two yeah. sides. And it had been very, very ugly of all the sports. It had been very unique. And that's why I think, wouldn't you say, you're not, I don't think a big golf guy, Liv and the PJ Tour had really cross pollinated into just sports fans' consciousness, mm, right? Yeah. Be because of just how crazy it had gotten. Yeah. No, I wouldn't And that's be why when they merged, and think about this, they merged out of nowhere on CNBC on seven in the morning. It just nobody <laughs> saw it coming. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be talking to you if it was just, uh, oh, Tiger Woods is coming back for a tournament. I wouldn't have exactly. you on to discuss this. No, this got to an interesting place with this guy, Monahan, the 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 Adam Silver of the PGA, completely doing an about face like you only see in pro wrestling um, <laughs> and uh, adding some drama. Everybody's talking about succession. It feels like you're watching succession to see all this have gone down. And you you brought up something on your podcast that I didn't even know about. And I've got some follow-ups on 
Um, there is, in your opinion, uh, perhaps the premier golf analyst uh, whose career now is in variance and imperiled by this whole thing. Can you get into that and explain what the hell's going on there? Well, Brandel Shambly, who is, I, I would say he's probably the Charles Barkley of golf. Mm. It, it's different, but I just mean in terms of fame and importance. I mean, he covers, he's the main golf channel guy. Unlike Charles, I mean, Charles was a Hall of Fame player. Brandel was like a fringe PGA Tour player. He's a much more famous analyst than he was a player. You could argue the same for Charles, but I mean, Charles was the second yeah. best player in the Dream Team. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's, yeah. he's elite at his job. I, I think he's awesome. And one of the reasons he is, is he's willing to just talk some sh shit when a guy plays bad or really analyze the player. Like, I'm just talking the golf. Yeah. And when it came to live, he was easily the most outspoken guy. And he, you know, everyone... Brooks Kepka immediately tweets about him when this merger happens. Someone do a welfare check on Chambly. Mm. And they, they have had their back and forth over the years from Brooks, the player. But a large part, of he, Brooks was talking about Liv. Like, you know, how's yeah. he doing now? And listen, you and I have both been uh, let go from situations. Potentially, mine is probably different. than my, my, I had a situation with involved with a radio station, with a partner. And they just don't like you talking about certain things. Yeah. And I, you, you have, you know, when you're <laughs> doing your best work, no filter as well. And that's why you're, I, I checked the other day. I saw 31,000 subscribers to Substack. I was like, I pay him nine ninety nine. Start doing the math. I'm like, God, Ethan's, no, that's, Ethan's that, living well. That's the total <laughs> subscription base that includes free subscribers. So no, that okay, would be, I'm, I'm not, like, I'm not, I started doing the I'm math. Not I'm making, like, Damn, Ethan. Hey, I'm making good money. I'm not making live golf money. So just so people know, you know, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's but yes it has gone well yes <laughs> I, I i use an analogy to this and you know you and when you have your guest i think yesterday the guy that was fired from vice that was a very interesting conversation oh he's very interesting michael what, Moynihan, what, very interesting guy yeah a, a lot of people you know let's talk politics right so on cbs nbc abc they go all these commentaries all the commentators you know the major political commentators have to be very careful about what they say of big pharma and it's mm -hmm. like, we can argue back and forth. Well, it's like, well, yeah, that's their biggest advertiser. So yeah. who people that run those stations, they don't want to lose 40% of their advertising every year. Of course, they're going to have influence. So yeah. when PIF gives billions of dollars, and you can say, well, they don't have the board seats. They don't own golf. Well, just fucking follow the money. So Chambly, who again, I think is elite at his job. He has doubled down in the last couple of days to Dan Peck, to anyone who's having him on, on golf channel. Wow. It's like, I understand Golf Channel is technically owned by NBC, but all these people are, who's NBC in bed with? The PGA Tour. Well, yeah. now who's funding them? Just start, do. if he continues to do this, just like anyone else, that's why a lot of people, I wouldn't say pivoted, but just pulled back a little bit. Like, this is going to be good for golf. So, it's, so interesting it's a survival. to watch. <laughs> and, and I respect Brandel. He, Brandel, it never crossed his mind. And maybe it has, I'm sure it has, but I just mean like, I'm going to pretend now like he just keeps up. Like, I'm not going to pivot. And I respect that. But let's just, if this actually goes down, I, I would say he would be in some trouble. Yeah. Yeah. That's just the way it, it's just the way it works. I mean, look at who live hired, right? Faraday, all these guys. And, and I think a lot of the, you know, the old school media goes when you turn on live, it's just an infomercial for Greg Norman, the Piff, the Saudis. And it is. Mm. But yeah, that's yeah. what money buys you. No, that's the way the world works. Charlie Munger's law, which I love saying on my website, show me the incentive and I'll show you the result as happens so often. The other one is that 
there are no Chinese walls. Whenever you hear that, oh, there's a wall, there's a wall between the the advertisers and the content, there's a wall. That's just not how it works. I mean, I've brought up how when I worked for Yelp, I thought the people at the very top actually believed there was a wall. I think they thought that, that there was a wall between advertisers paying us and how good the reviews were. But those of us on the lower levels whose job was to actually implement everything, we just knew it just crept in that if you fucked with an advertiser and you docked their score because you thought that their reviews were shady, well, you needed to have that dead to rights. You needed to be able to prove that every which way. But with a non-advertiser, you just did it and it didn't matter. And yeah. you just you just keep on going down that road and money buys influence formally or informally. It just does. That's why people spend it. People tend to give money for a reason and it works. Well, it's kind of why I I understand when people use the term sports washing. Where I push back on that is like when my parents grew up, Cold War and stuff, they used to tell you to like get under the desk if a bomb hits, like that's going to save you. And people are like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. let's do it. I think in 2023 mm -hmm. with the internet, like we kind of know maybe not all the details of what's going on, but if you want to know, like can you really yeah. hide stuff? Now you could argue you normalize certain things, and I, I would agree to that. <laughs> uh, but this I'm notion that you can hide. I'm watching golf now, and I think that uh, Ben Solomon is just really good, and he's a great, he's just great, yeah, high character. You know, I just <laughs> want to be my neighbor. Uh, <laughs> like, like, what do they think's happening? I mean, that is an interesting question. Of does it actually? Do you, do you agree? The difference? Do, do you think? Sports washing is a little bit overhyped by a lot of people that talk about sports for a living. Well, maybe we're contradicting ourselves because they might be spending this money to have this influence. So the influence must do something. It, it, it must be effective sports sports washing. I mean, look, what if they just want? I mean, I, I, what if they? Here's like what's HBO. complicated. Here, here's what's complicated right here. Um, what China buys itself as sports washing is not praise but the absence of criticism. And that was effectively bought. Um, for instance, the Daryl Morey thing happens, and nobody is saying out there in the media, in the sports media, well, this is a great decision by China. We love how they're taking it to Morey. Hell yeah. Xi, fantastic dictator. May he reign for a thousand years. But what is happening, and what was happening, and I know because I know fucking everybody there, is that on the studio sets of those shows on ESPN, everybody was terrified and scrambling for how to talk about something or how to talk about this without offending the nation of China. So what they bought with their sports wash was just the ability to do something and not get absolutely crucified for it. I saw it. They purchased it. It happened. They should have been getting destroyed. I mean, G is a maniac. The hell are they doing demanding a general manager get fired over a meme? But nobody was saying something as obvious as what I'm saying to you right now on television, and that is because of the monetary influence. You probably remember, I forget who wrote it, but over the last year, the, the Nets owner had that in-depth piece that ESPN did, and it was like, yeah. geez, on Joe Sy. Yeah. No no one talked about it on ESPN. Like they, they, yeah. they, they published it, which I was pretty stunned, but... No one. Sometimes when I see him and the way people talk about him, some of the quotes he gave in there, some of the it was like yeah. this is insane. 
Yeah, well, he's clearly done a great job, <laughs> Joe Saez, with that with that operation. So how could anybody? Do you, you think if Daryl Morey had been like uh, not viewed? I mean, he is. I mean, he's excellent at his job. Mm. Had just been a low level GM somewhere and had done that, he's blackballed from the NBA. I think so. I think it is impressive. It is a testament to a combination of factors, including how people think about Daryl. And also, frankly, Daryl's pretty good with media. I mean, I don't say that as an insult. I think some general managers could could learn a thing or two. Um, yeah, did being the host of the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference year after year and having all those media people in and out, including all these other people in sports, that might have that might have saved him in that instance. What also might have saved him, though, is that China cut off the money. Like... <laughs> So it wasn't even, yeah. hey, if you don't do this, I mean, I, I guess they were saying that in a way that will turn the money back on if you fire him. The whole situation, totally insane. And yeah, I agree with you. If it was somebody lower level, then they just wouldn't, you know, but, we but just wouldn't talk about it. And think about the Saudis, right? They can, let's say they start for five years, they give the funding and they put guys on salary on this whatever this merge tour becomes and you got guys making 30, 40 guaranteed before they even play and life's good for everybody. Then all of a sudden they just like arbitrarily, I'll cut you off mm. and then we'll create our own. We'll run 100% of it. And these networks then would be like, well, they're getting all the guys because right now they were in a tough spot. The PGA store still had juice. Once they kind of get their meat hooks into you, they, because they have, they have yeah. the funding. So as yeah. much as FedEx or some of the American companies, there is a limitation on how far they can go. There is no limitation on what the PIF can go to. Zero limitation. I mean, Zero. It's, it's so strange. And again, it's this bizarre business story because you're talking about how PGA Tour is bleeding, bleeding out. They're getting bled out. But at the same time, it almost looks like the Saudis are getting bled out because at that time, they're doing these live tournaments and... From what I understand, maybe a few thousand people are watching them. Yeah, it wasn't and pretty. So, in a way, their their Potemkin League is suffering and falling apart, and yet, just I guess big take, uh, big bank takes little bank, as as they say. Um, I, I, and is the well, here, here's this, here's yeah. a, here's another here's another variable. Golf unique that there are these historic venues to play at. Right, mm. whether it's Pebble Beach or whether it's Oakmont or some of these legendary courses all throughout the country, the Saudis had no access to it because they were either country clubs that was just we're just going to tell them no because a lot of those the elite country clubs have money they don't need them, or the the public high end courses are either owned by the tour like TPC Scottsdale or Sawgrass in Florida, mm. or these other public venues like Pebble Beach that just don't want the smoke, right? They don't need it. And they couldn't get on any of these spots in America. They have no, it's why they're, they're playing like the, this Muni in Orlando, the shitty course in Tucson. Mm. So that's a huge element. Like if they're going to have an impact in this country, they have to get access to those courses. So that's where I think they have to be pretty political in this whole thing of, of playing it pretty carefully where they can't just kind of do a hostile takeover. Cause those people can always say no. Right. Yeah. And ultimately, what Yasser and the Saudis and the PIF would love to be part of an event at Pebble Beach, right? To be part of an event at, you, you name it, Course X, that's a legendary place. Olympic Corey Club Pines. says no. Yeah, you, you, yeah, exactly. 
Tori might do it, but some, some of, <laughs> Hori, some of the Tori. other <laughs> That's a, that was a, the one I, that was near me growing up. So that was the one I wanted to, to get a word in on. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's. Uh, do you think the ultimate upshot of this? Because I'm not done talking about this. I've been afraid to talk about it, not because I'm scared of the Saudis, but because I'm scared of the golf nerds. Um, uh, is the consolidation going to be? kind of i don't want to say boring but anticlimactic that now saudi does golf and everybody's going to be in one big not so happy family and there's going to be normalcy or do you see turbulence ahead with all this i think the best case scenario for us that love watching golf tournaments is they all start playing together again mm. eight times a year including you know and a couple majors because you Sports needs villains, right? It needs people you root for and people you root against. I say it all the time. From my youth, I hate the Lakers. And I'm pretty apathetic. Like, I don't care that much about most teams. Like, I root against them. People are like, middle class, you're just a troll, you're just a hater. I am. And that's great for the business of sports. You need people like me. And I think the PGA Tour mm -hmm. lost a lot of people that other that you hated in golf. Like, didn't like Kepka. You know, you didn't mm -hmm. like Bryson. Patrick Reed, known cheater. You know, if these guys come back and they're kind of arrogant about it, I think it adds, a, you know, an element of just intrigue, at least in the short term. Maybe that, you know, flames out over the years. But if you tell me the next couple years that we get countless tournaments separate from the majors, I mean, I think the majors have been like, how's it? Next week in LA is the US Open. Some of these press conferences, some of these quotes, you're going to see these on, you know, your at CNN, at Fox News, at CBS, mm. not just at ESPN or at the Golf Channel. I mean, it's going to be some of the quotes coming out of the U.S. Open next year. Do you agree? I mean, are going to be an, yeah. an international well, political story, not just a sports story. I think so. And it's funny. We haven't even really talked a lot of Phil Mickelson, who I feel like with him is being presented as the villain. But like all truly great villains... You kind of love him. You kind of yeah. like him. It's hard to hate Lefty, man. There's something about him. He's got that that glint in his eye. He knows he's the villain. He knows he's the heel. He's got a scheme. I, I That's my other takeaway from watching all of this is that we're being told that as one of the main orchestrators of this merger and the lived affection and everything else that that Phil Mickelson has, has entered this villainy role, but... Uh, he's got such charisma and fame and he won that it almost makes it a little bit fun to cheer, cheer for, for Phil or am I crazy? It's probably not an ideal comparison because Phil's definitely not a Democrat, but he's kind of got this Bill Clinton in his prime thing going. So it's like, huh. it's going to be hard not to just have a conversation, you know, Phil and a lot of people thought he was kind of phony. You know, that was always a knock on Phil. He's kind of had this shooter McGavin thing going, but he could own a room. And, yeah. you know, historically, he was the best with the big donors. You know, he was addicted to money. He had he had some, you know, gambling issues. But he also, mm -hmm. there was human element. His wife battled cancer. Uh, he got, you know, kind of his ass kicked historically by Tiger Woods, which essentially is like getting beat by Michael. But then he was yeah. able to get over the hump. He, he has, do you remember, you know, probably like the late 2000s, early 2010s, when they used to like do the highest paid athletes? And it was like, you know, Kobe, LeBron's prime, Peyton Manning, maybe. But it was always like Tiger was number one. Phil was basically, you know, uh, right behind Tiger always. And he mm -hmm. was, without Tiger, Phil, and the, the golf wouldn't have been much. But 
he really benefited from the Tiger, you know, rocket ship because he was the second best player who's well accomplished. And he had, you know, Tiger was a dick. And, yeah. and maybe Phil is behind the scenes, depending on who you talk to. But, but he's Phil was not. Yeah, he, he, he was not funny. during the tournament. Like the, for, he was not for, during the tournament. For those who don't know, Phil as a communicator is top, top class. And if you want to go to, I said earlier, YouTube, if you want to learn a little bit about golf, he's going to explain the game to you in this reducible way. Little, maybe Shades of Bel uh, Belichick is simplifying things. He's going to simplify it in a way that's very impressive. And beyond all that, he's funny. He's a little bit like Peyton Manning. Uh, well, for, a, a lot of a lot of people thought Ethan before the live thing happened that, that CBS was destined, like Tony Romo, to give him fifteen twenty a year and just he would dominate on television, and he yeah. would have. And obviously, when this happened, that that ended. We thought, but who knows now with live? I, Phil though has turned into a little bit of a renegade through this whole thing, right? He kind of went from lovable to. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't say quite villain, but he's just, I don't think he's buddies. I mean, there's this dinner every year at the Masters where if you win it, only the champions go to. And Phil is the most outspoken guy like in the history of sports. Rumor was he didn't say a peep this year. Didn't say a word. Mm -hmm. And last year he didn't go, obviously, in the in the heat of all this stuff. And now, you know, you he's gotten his kind of swag back because really over before this merger uh the more he once he finished second at the masters <laughs> yeah you know he's kind of been talking shit on social media because remember phil in like his late 40s was not playing well but he he started dominating social media you know he kind of figured it out in this like lovable dad way but he was good at it and he's just gone through so many iterations of his career for this famous guy but the, he loves his money I mean, yeah. most people do, but I mean, that's, you know, he's bragging about being a billionaire. Uh, he's had some gambling issues with people that have gone he's, to jail. He's buying an entire, like, himself of Rancho Santa Fe in San Diego County, and he's just buying the neighborhood and expanding continuously. I don't know to what end. I don't know what the was he, what is the he building like is. commercial properties or is he building a compound for himself to live in? I know if, I feel like Tom Waits watching it. What is he building in there? It's uh I don't know why the billionaires love Rancho Santa Fe. That's a whole other topic. I don't get the Rancho Santa Fe thing. Um I, I don't understand Steve that. lived down there? Yeah, yeah. He lived uh, <clears throat> Rancho Santa Fe, uh Kawhi Leonard, Rancho Santa Fe, Bill Gates, Rancho Santa Fe. Um, as I think possibly a primary residence. And I never understood it as somebody who grew up in San Diego, because for those who don't know, it's nestled into the mountains. When I think San Diego, I think the beach. beach. Yeah. So there's just something odd to me of I'm going to like the, the top rich spot is in San Diego and in sort of the dusty, hotter inland part. But I suppose that for privacy purposes, maybe it's great and it's warm. And I guess the rich people can maybe come on the podcast one day and and explain to me why Rancho Santa Fe versus La Jolla. I mean, this is the this is this is a great golf conversation. Just like this is how you'll see the advertisement for the private plane. We're now having a conversation of this is why you should be living in La Jolla, folks, instead yeah. of Rancho Santa Fe. This is uh, this is why it's the underrated place to uh, place your property. Um, I had some other question to ask you towards this end. Oh, I want your general thoughts on the fan 
media divide. You said something so interesting to me. I think one of your one of your things, John, is uh, you think about money like Phil Mickelson, and it also informs some of your thought process. And you were talking about how one of the reasons sports media people are cut off from the fan, it's very basic, but it doesn't get brought up enough, is that we don't buy the tickets. And you think that's an underrated thing. I thought that was such an interesting insight as to why beyond just being socialized differently and writing for our peers versus writing for the fans. Um, you know, do you want to expand on that? That's, that's something I want to riff on. I, I like that as an insight. You, you see to me talking about the game, writing about the game, like obviously ton of people that cover sports are awesome at that because they get to know the players, the, the executives, the coaches, they, they get insight that the fans are just never going to have. But I always thought this when I got into radio and started going to games, you get the credential, you get a free parking pass, you get free food. And since I became a podcaster, beside the occasional 49er practice, every game I've gone to, I've either paid for a ticket or, you know, had my ticket sponsor pay for it. But mm. you sit with the people and you realize, like, one, I, I love going to a big NBA game. These so tickets good. are fucking outrageous. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, they are. So expensive. It's why the number one topic should always be. It is so fucking insane when that when I pay however much money, which is a lot, to sit in the lower bowl to take my young son and the three best players in the game, who are superstars, are just sitting there in street clothes, <laughs> high five and everything. Like that's just, yeah. it, it's one of the great fus the, to any consumer in the history of business. But I, I just think whether it's football, whether it's any sport. You just, because these are the people who are listening to you or, right, the people willing to pay a ticket. They are the best fans. They are the most loyal fans willing, because these leagues, especially football and even basketball, they need you to watch the games, not attend. Yeah. I mean, especially football for Primarily, sure. Primarily, I mean, the, yeah. the, the majority of their money. And I, I just, it's just given me kind of back to my roots of getting with the people. Now, I, I'm a little unique. You know, I don't really think of my, like, I didn't go to journalism school most of my friends work in, you know, normal, whether it's construction or real estate, you know, have talk about jobs. You know, we talk about revenue margins, not about like, again, we talk about sports, but a lot of stocks, whatever. I mean, those have always been my conversations with a lot of people I grew up in because that's what they do, you know. And I, you know, I think sometimes when you work in the media and you go to these games, which you don't pay for, you just kind of get insulated with those people and that drive, because you spend a lot of time with them. You know, it's a, it's a unique job where, you know, football is the easiest sport to cover in the sense that you only got one game a week. Yeah. I I can't imagine, you know, being like a baseball beat writer for 30 years. I mean, that's just <laughs> a lot of work. It's a lot of divorces uh, in that yeah. profession. I know I, I happen to notice and, uh, for the NBA grind, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm here doing this is that I wanted to be able to manage my schedule and work hard without being driven by the propulsion, the constant propulsion of the schedule. But yeah, that's just something that's an underrated thing. I mean, because I would get asked a lot by friends and acquaintances, can you get me a ticket? Can you get me a ticket? And I go, or they would ask me, what are ticket prices like right now? I go, look, I am out of the system. I, yeah. I I don't even interface with that at all. I, I email a guy, the PR guy, and then I get a badge and I don't even know. I don't even, I wouldn't even know where to go to buy one. Um, I know so embarrassingly little about it. And 
you know, ultimately everybody's analyzing the same game. And so as far as who won, who lost, that's not really going to be informed by who paid money to see it. But how you react to something like load management, uh, yeah, as a subject, that that one right there, and somewhat connected perhaps or some of the other issues about how much buy-in the players have to these teams, um, that's going to be informed by giving money to go see it versus versus not. So I, I like that you brought that up. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that's something observing you from afar. I think that's a little bit of a frustration. You're a little frustrated with our industry, uh, broadly defined that there's a little bit of, uh, people inside the club making content for one another and not really thinking so much about the customer or am I reading that wrong? Yeah. Honestly, I don't care that much because if it if it wasn't, it's opened up avenues for me, right? Mm. It's opened up avenues for you, for whoever. You, there's so many. It gives you perspective of what not to do. Not that I'm faking a conversation, but I also try. One thing I do try to avoid is like I don't think the fan care that much about certain stuff. Mm. You know, it's like you, you do a really good job of being able to talk about stuff. And I think Bill Simmons does too. And coward can that like, isn't like, it's pretty niche, but make it kind of interesting. Yeah. And, and I think there's like a, there's a fine line of like, you know, ultimately the, it's like who, what time's the game at? You know? <laughs> yeah. You that's know? not and what I, I, I do the, here. Well, this is why I do what I do because I could, if I needed to get a hundred thousand people invested in what I'm doing here, I would not be doing it right. I wanted to be able to do a thing where I could just optimize, maximize stuff I'm interested in, stuff that other like-minded people might want to know about that they can't find anywhere else. I mean, the key thing, if you just look at what I'm doing as a business, even though, God damn, it's it's really art when you think about now. <laughs> but you know, as a business, it is a business in a way. I, it is creatively fulfilling, and that's why I decided to do it overall. But it works as a business because it's dis it's differentiated. Like that's. Well, that's I, I got a is. question. I got a question yeah. for you. I, I think one of the coolest, most unique things you've ever written, and I, I've been a, I, if not month oh. one, I'm probably month two, I've been a subscriber. The Woj CAA stuff. Like ah. that is something that just, especially you know, you have a basketball following that just no one else. Could you obviously ESPN? You would no. e even if Woj. You know, <laughs> it's it's. We could argue how much role he played, but if mm -hmm. if you had worked with him, never, obviously. But even at the athletic, could you have written that article or no? No, no way. And that's not insulting. They, that's not insulting the athletic because I loved my time there and I was treated very well. Because they would have said it's not interesting or just not no. going down that road. No, they've got to rely on the same sorts of connections with agencies, and that's a game. That's a game. Once you start tugging that thread. When you're in the business of wanting to break news and trying to break news, it's going to put a spotlight on your oh, arrangements I see, I see and your conflicts of people. interest. Yeah, you know, you. do you want people scrutinizing Shams in the way that that piece scrutinized Woj, for instance? Well, if you're paying Shams, you probably don't want that. And I'm not saying that as a criticism of them. That's just the business they're in. But I perceived an opportunity to have a market inefficiency at my disposal and be able to apply it fairly easily just because this is all 
everybody knows about this behind the scenes, by the way. All the media members in NBA oh, media, sure. everybody talks about this. And at a certain point, yeah, what I do is niche, but it does it does get at me a little bit to tell the NBA fans about all this stuff, sell them these stories, and often edit out the main characters. I mean, what is that? That's dishonest, is it not? When some so, sometimes these agents are really pulling these deals together or running a team and we're just pretending not to know about it because we want them to feed us the information first. And it's a little bit off to me. And it's also just interesting. It's connected to all these other subjects. And well, it's, I'll, I'll conflict, give you one. The conflict of interest is astounding. More, more so well, at ESPN than the athletic. <laughs> it's astounding. For sure. I'll, I'll give you one because, part of interwoven into that article with Woj was Ime Odoka, right? Why yeah. turn on, <clears throat> and I love this event, like a lot of people, the lottery. And Ime's sitting there representing the, he, <laughs> he just, he had sex with everyone in the building, of course, <laughs> you know, it gets fired, gets run out, and he's just sitting there, gets hired immediately, and no one even talks about, like, <laughs> one difference I've always thought with the, and I love, I don't watch as many NBA games anymore, but I still consume a lot of NBA, like, I listen to Tim and Marcus and those guys on all the Warrior stuff. I listen to a lot of Windhorse, him, Bontemps, and uh, uh, McMahon. They got a good podcast. Like, I oh, yeah. like NBA content, Rosillo and Bill. But there are stories, like in the NFL, people would have been like, this is fucking nuts. This guy mm -hmm. just got fired from one of the most marquee franchises for still doing something we don't have yeah. all the details to. That's another thing. The details would have came out. Yeah. No one's talking. It's completely under wraps. He immediately gets a job, and then they just put him on the lottery, and it's not even weird. It's like, mm -hmm. what are we doing here? Like, can, yeah. can I just get some more information? And but there's the information is clearly just destroyed, burned, and <laughs> it's not coming out for. I mean, potentially, unless you want to go rogue, I will take say, someone like you to put it out. Yeah, I mean, anything with uh, when it's sexual is and I, and when i say information i no, i don't no. i'm not talking about like list yeah. the name but it's like what the hell happened he, How, he, he, he he had sex with somebody fairly important in that organization um and it's it, it is it's sounding i mean i had an agent tell me that he thought he'd never get hired again it, it's kind of I mean, there should be an explanation, I guess, as to what was so bad as to push him out that wasn't prohibitive to being hired again. Uh, but yeah, I thought my critique, I thought the Boston media as a collective was pretty soft. I, I thought it was embarrassing, frankly, when they had that press conference with the owner, with Wick Grousebeck and, and Brad Stevens, that the media there weren't demanding to understand what the fuck, what the hell, like, what is, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You're suspending a guy indefinitely. You can't tell us why. Like, I got to say, it looks like you're protecting yourselves. This is an insufficient explanation right now for you to be suspending somebody for something that you cannot explain. Um, and how, how does that work exactly? I think a lot of people got scared off of it because, there is a potential victim at the center of it all. Um, and so it's just easier to... Yeah, it, not, it, it's not, a complicated subject. Not, but, but it feels like 10 years ago, there's no way the Boston media would have just been... Ten, I, I'd, say, I'd say five. Five. Yeah, we need answers. We need answers. This isn't good enough. And this isn't just a matter of us going soft, uh, you know, being, being soft about this uh, in one direction. It's in multiple directions because... 
you are not providing an adequate explanation of what the hell just happened here. And it's a story, uh, a story unlike any other, to use some golf phrasing. <laughs> well, the you know, like the, the, like the Andrew Wiggins situation. I understand yeah. treating that one. It's it's a complicated thing. He's not like leaving or quitting. He comes back. Like, I get it. This guy was fired, pushed out, cannot coach here anymore, and then immediately gets another job. And people are like, well, what, what kind of happened? And this gets to Woj, who you've written a lot about, obviously really good at his job. I can't take him that seriously besides his, you know, he's it's, tweeting at politicians and he will do anything to destroy anyone in his way. It's like, Woj, you act like you're this fucking great guy. And just, you know, it's like, give me a break. I would be totally fine if, if Woj or anybody there at ESPN just said, look, I think that the Celtics might have acted too hastily in firing Udoka. Uh, the players are upset by it, and we're seeing it in their underperformance in this postseason with the <laughs> transition to Missoula. And oh, by the way, I am represented by CAA, as is Ime Udoka. So full disclosure, I have that association, but here's my opinion. That's not happening, and that's how you know it's dishonest. That's how it gets back to the money talks conversation and show me the incentive, and I'll show you the result. What Shady more so than the conflict of interest is the refusal to tell the customer about it. That should show you what's really going on right there because otherwise, Hey, what's the harm? What's the harm in doing full disclosure? If you've got a big reputation, if you're established, we're not then going to go, Oh, you've got that conflict of interest. Therefore I don't, I distrust everything you say. There's something, there's just something in that absolute refusal to admit it right there that I think gives the game away. Yeah. I mean, I, it also speaks to, you know, the old adage, you know, talent and ability Trump at all. And he's clearly pretty good at his oh, job. Yeah. Just like, oh. just like a player. The, the other thing with these agencies, no, now, nobody would read my shit. If he was like an untalented guy who was simply bad or stupid. I mean, this is why it's interesting. It's complicated well, I think people. De definitely in football. And I think basketball at the at the high, I don't know how, you know, the assistants don't quite make as much, but the high end of of coaches in the NBA and definitely college, there's so much money in the line for these agencies representing these guys. I mean, signing 20 to 40 to 50 million dollars in college football coaches making 80, yeah. 90 million dollars. You start treating those clients like a player, you know, you would take, mm. you know, the, you know, not literal, but like, you know, both they, they, they they hide stuff like they have historically for players because as they should, you know, players are making so much money. Yeah, but now yeah. these coaches means like how much do you think the Houston Rockets gave Ime Adoka? 40 million bucks? I mean, they had I mean, to give him a lot of money, right? Well, that's another weird thing about the industry that the player salaries are all public, but the uh, coach salaries and the GM salaries can be somewhat uh, obscured. And it's a weird game behind the scenes when it comes to the agencies because you have situations too where there'll be assistant coaches on the back of the bench and they're making not great money. Maybe they're making 85, 85K, 75, and maybe even less. And they're represented by CAA or by Clutch. And what the hell is that? That doesn't make any sense. But it's because they're an information runner and their job is to be in the locker room and notice when the superstar might be a little bit unhappy with his agency or there's a little bit of an opening to do something and their job is to run the information back to the agency to the agency and that's how that game is is played so 
I, I think it's become a problem, especially in the NBA, where a lot of this. Um, well, I'll I'll give I'll give you one. Yeah, Shams the other day tweets about the Kyrie Lebron thing. Shams is represented by Clutch, Clutch, Rich Paul, but they're run by Lebron. That tweet, there is no way on God's green earth comes out without a thumbs up from LeBron James. So in the middle of the finals, I, I just, I'm just like, give me a break. Do you agree with that? Or am I, am I conspiracy theorist? Well, over I actually, I should know the answer to this. I actually don't know if Shams is represented by clutch. I actually don't. I thought he, well, I thought he was. Well, I think there is Montag for instance, for right there. And you ask around and sometimes it's a if little I'm bit wrong on that one. Then I take that back. I, I look, I, Hey, you, you could be, I'm just saying that I actually, I'm somebody people would come to and expect to know that. And even I, I actually don't Mar- Mar- know that. Who, who do, you, do you know? Like Mark Jackson is, is Chris Haynes represented by, I mean, there are people in the media that are represented by him. Correct. It's the Not media, LeBron, but the, you know, this is where CAA helps me out because CAA is big on actually showing you on their website that we've got this client. Were, yeah. We've got that client. We've got this client. We've got that client, but these other agencies, it's just all in the Merc and Sometimes I've heard that they're represented, but these things change and they change rather quickly. Um, but to what you're saying, yeah, when you see certain information put out there and it's put out in a particular way, um, you understand what's really going on. And I don't think that was the case. I think the the consumer and the fan is far savvier now about these dynamics right. than they well, were in the past. Because people like you, it, it's talked about more too. I think it's people like me and it's also the practitioners have just lost any inclination towards the subtlety and hiding it. So I I think that's, that's also part of it. I I don't want to take you for your whole day and I know I'm on your podcast, but I got a question for you here. Sure. This Bob Myers situation, former agent, would he pay someone to represent him in talks for his contract or would he just have direct? I I know you would have direct conversation with Joe, but when Mm. it came to strictly dollars and cents, do you think it was just mono e mono? Do you think there were intermediaries? Do you think, uh, do you think that got complicated or was just simply I'm tired? We had a hell of a run. I've kind of been checked out. I have. I mean, you start a podcast in the middle of an NBA season. I'm sorry. You at, at the worst time. <laughs> it was over at the, wor- <laughs> at the worst time to start a podcast. Uh, by the way, um, I like Bob, but you're having Gavin Newsom in the middle of an NBA season when you're a GM. That, that's a little weird. <laughs> you are checked out. I, I saw some of the guest lists, and I thought, well, you know, that's a, a, a good. Maybe one thing, if it was like Sean Livingston, Steph, you know, kind of like frankly, an inner workings of the Warriors. Frankly, if it's anybody. That's not what a GM. Can you imagine the NFL? Can, can you imagine an NFL general manager having a guest list and doing a podcast uh, in his spare time? Can you, can, can you imagine just being like Joe had to be? This is a little weird. Like, what, oh, what are we doing? I'm yeah, not trying I mean, to argue with you about this, well, but this is no, no, no. This was uh, that's that's not having one foot out the door. That's having two feet out the door when when you're doing that. And you know, from what I hear. I think a lot of it was just being exhausted by the lake of situation, and which is understandable, which I think everyone can go. Yeah. You, you had 10 year run. You're tired. You want to go. And it was a combo. I mean, I've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but it was a combination of Joe is just constant. Go, go, go. We work, we work 25 hours a day. God damn it. It just, just, you gotta go, go, go. But usually with that sort of, with that sort of accomplishment, you know, with that sort of demand on your time, you also tend to have power 
You know, you think about the power Pat Riley had when he took over the Miami Heat. But in the case of Bob, you had the other Lake Up kids involved in the organization. For a time, you had Johnny West there who needed to be there because Jerry West had been recruited there. And Bob is, is Johnny West gone? Is he not I, with the Warriors anymore? I don't even know what Johnny's up to these days. Where is Johnny? I mean, Johnny might be on the Live Golf Tour. He's the best golfer yeah. among uh well, him, him, him and Michelle just ha- him just yeah. ha- they're just hanging, you know. That's you know, for those who don't know, Johnny West is married to Michelle Wee, the great uh the great golfer. Um yeah, I'm looking up Johnny's LinkedIn right now. <laughs> this is great crack reporting that I am doing currently. Uh, looking up uh, Johnny's LinkedIn. I mean, it still says director of basketball operations, Golden State well, Warriors. So you know, well, I mean, I, I'd imagine if I was Bob Myers and I go, it's not all my. I don't get all the credit, but I have been kicking the shit out of Daryl Morey forever, and he gets to do whatever he wants. Gets all this money ooh. everywhere he goes, and and I every time I play him, I beat him. Like that would just. I, I, that would be a hard one, and and you know the way. I don't care what you do, whether you run a Substack, man, you, whether you're you run a podcast, me, whether you run an NBA, you, you got to have somewhat of an ego to go. This is insane because you, so, you view yourself against your, you know, the oh, people you're competing against. In so far as I can actually get in trouble as my own boss, you're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> you're pressing on something. You're getting you're getting near to something right there, John. That's. Uh, yeah, that's you know. I think that uh, there was always something. There well, he's was the most famous. There. I'd say Daryl's even more famous than Bob. And if I was Bob, yeah, it's, it's not even about quote unquote fame. But that's, that's that's Bob's you fault. Know, though. Like, if if you look at it as a fault thing, you know, if we look at it, because there are many reasons why Bob left. I think the the primary one is just burnout crime in San Francisco. Uh, crime in San Francisco. Uh, he uh, had his car jacked multiple times out of that Chase Center parking lot. Um, it doesn't help that all the criminals know when the games are, uh, so they know <laughs> when to attack. That's 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 tough right there. Do you think um, the moving trucks they've already got everything to LA, or you think they're they're on their way this weekend? Oh man! Um, but you would hear things. You'd hear how his family, his wife, might have preferred uh, to be down there, um, yeah. and. I mean, it is it is remarkable that something couldn't be worked out. But I also think I wrote a chapter about this, that GMs are a funny thing in the NBA. You become famous and not even the NBA in sports. You're famous off your ideas. Mostly you're an idea, man. You're an inspiration to the sort of business guy who buys money ball. And that's what carries your fame. And that's why Billy Bean is way more famous than a bunch of guys who did win World Series. And Sam Hinkie is more famous than a bunch of guys who won games and had winning seasons. And Daryl Morey is an idea man. And he's into having ideas. He has an idea conference. And it's a funny thing to discuss because I know and I like both those guys. I like Daryl. I like Bob. Um, but Bob never really played the game and I don't know if he has regrets about not playing the game, but he didn't play it. And I think he told himself maybe that he shouldn't have to, and he shouldn't have to, he shouldn't have to schmooze media people. He shouldn't have to bend our ears about how this idea was actually his idea or about how this is his philosophy and we're seeing it actualized out in the court. You know, maybe he shouldn't do it, but I would sometimes hear about the lack of Bob's status or how Bob should get more credit and think maybe that's true, but, 
and maybe Anthony isn't comfortable with me saying this, but it, it might be different. It might be different now. I'm talking about a few years ago, but I remember going, look, uh, you've got maybe the best beat writer in the NBA covering your team and you never go to lunch with him. You know, like I would say, I would, I would, I would put Anthony up with all this. I mean, I follow yeah. the NFL pretty close. I'd put him up with anyone in in sports. Yeah. Yeah. You've got the best beat writer covering your team and you never take him out to lunch. That is actually not very normal in the NBA. Um, if you're covering the Oklahoma city thunder, you're getting multiple lunches with Sam Presti. I, I'd say football too, Ethan. I mean, I, yeah. I think these GMs, maybe, and I, you don't need like dinner once a week, but you have pretty strong relationships with these guys over time. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that Bob's totally aloof. You can get Bob on the phone if you, if you text him and you kind of flag him down, but that's not playing the game. That's not playing the game. And uh, that's not to say that Anthony then took it out on Bob or, you know, started questioning the Wiggins trade or whatever. It's just people, as they say in succession, are singing your song. You know, who's going to sing your song? If you're not really, you know, you know who plays the game very well? Uh, Steve Kerr plays the game very well. And it is appreciated, uh, is appreciated by the people covering him. And I don't, think it's a coincidence beyond the winning that Steve Kerr gets great. Do you think, do you think though, it's because if you're Bob and you're just getting worn out by Joe, it's a little harder. Do you think Joe's wearing out Steve? Like he is Bob? Probably not. Right. Probably not. It's different. Not to the, not to the same degree, not to the same degree. So Steve's just not worn out at the same level that way from a, I would say from a verbal standpoint, you just got a little more energy to kind of BS with like Bob's like, I I don't even want to talk about basketball anymore. Like, I wonder if there are elements of that. Oh, I think Bob loves to talk about basketball. I I understand that, but I I just mean like you're so in depth with Joe to like go to with Slater, even though you could just have a normal conversation. I'm not trying to defend him here. I don't know the inner workings of the way he operated, but I could see where it's just like, I'm fuck. I just want to go home. I see all the perspectives in it. I see Bob's perspective as having done a great job and perhaps should have gotten more shouldn't credit. It speak on its own merit. You know? Yeah. I shouldn't, mean, it, shouldn't it speak on its own merit? Shouldn't I have more power? Um, I understand that, but ultimately I can't kill the guy because he left. You know, he looked at the situation and he said, I don't want this situation and I'm choosing a new situation. If he stayed around, took the money and belly ached, then that's one thing. But he ultimately left. And then from the perspective of Lakeup, I think it's easy to make fun of Lakeup for his arrogance and ego, but none of this happens without that. So, you know, it's just, it's big egos. It's, uh, it's people working together for a very long time. And it's actually rather remarkable that it's been as stable as it's been. I mean, usually there's a, coach GM divorce by now. That's what tends to happen in the league. So it's about as amicable an ending as could be arrived at. Pretty crazy. That that no. press conference once Lakeup took the well was is as good as it gets. I oh mean that is, that that is that's incredible incredible television. I mean that's uh, it just doesn't get any better because he was on brands the wrong way to put it like so Joe Lakeup yeah. It just from from how confident he was saying we're going to win to saying Bob ain't leaving till June 31st and Bob going, this is Bob, Joe, yeah. I'm quitting right now. And it, <laughs> everything was just it was perfect. It, uh, you couldn't you couldn't have written it any better. It, it, it was, was you couldn't take your eyes off it. 
And it's one of the things I love about the Warriors and why I was so lucky for them to have their moment when I was covering them is that they are a little bit open. They are kind of performing themselves for everybody. Um, even if the GM isn't getting lunch, lunch with the beat writer, uh, they're, they're, they're a very open team to the point where you're yeah. seeing Joe say, this guy is going to work till <laughs> the absolute last day of the contract. And Bob is looking at him and looking, I think, at his wife with a this fucking guy expression on his face. I, I, I do think that was genuine. Like, are you, are you being serious right now? Because I'm <laughs> legitimately quitting today and you're telling me, like, I can't quit. That's essentially what you're saying. I don't even <laughs> want your money the next 30 days. <laughs> It's rather, it's rather remarkable. Um, ah, sometimes I miss them, but ultimately, it's fun to be able to do this and talk about a range of things <clears> that <throat> I probably could not have talked about if I was still uh, covering the NBA for a big time publication. John, uh, Money Middlecoff, plug some stuff on the way out. Where should we find you? Yeah, you can find me everywhere. Podcasting. Uh... If you live in California, me and Haberman uh, cover the 49ers, a lot of 49er talk, three and out podcast, talking a little everything NFL, college football, stock market, real estate, you name it. We just talk a little bit of everything. And on that feed, as well as the uh, the golf feed, Go Low, which is uh, something that hopefully just keeps expanding over time. Love golf. Who's the week one quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers? Uh, Purdy. Okay. Okay. Well, then I'm feeling good as somebody who enjoys the 49ers. Hopefully his shoulder still works. All right. Thanks so much for coming on. That was fantastic. We'll have to have you back sometime. See you, buddy.